stop looking so miserable. I can't start when you look like that. How's it going, sad boy? You were doing it on purpose that time. I mean, tell me you were. I was. Tell me what. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I'm feeling inspired today. As always, Tom's dejected. Mark's shimmying. Krista, sitting in your shame? Yes. Yeah. Um, Mark, how are you today? Zero to ten. Zero the worst, ten the best. Uh, I'm I'm choosing a solid eight. Okay. If you could be a color, what color would you be? I would be the color of enthusiasm. That's not that answering work? the question. No. Not at all. No, it wasn't. It was like color? Butterscotch. Okay, perfect. Smooth. It's also a food. Is that why you like it? Well, it worked. It, <laughs> it worked. It's better than the color of enthusiasm, which is and, not an answer. And it's an answer. a good name for a horse. Love on me in the, in the comments, please. Enthusiasm could be the name of a horse. I was thinking butterscotch. <laughs> oh, butterscotch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ride my enthusiasm today. A heck of an episode. <laughs> Krista, please save us. What's a community question? All right. What is a community question? <laughs> and why is a community question? And where? Okay. Christina asks, in what ways... <laughs> Christina. Very, very apt. Christina asks, in what ways do you sabotage our own creative potential? Mm. In what ways do we Actively sabotage happening. our own creative potential? <laughs> starts from the beginning limiting beliefs right there's we've got these conflicting things happening inside us where we have these goals when i say we i think i'm talking about the royal we um inside myself i've got these goals these big goals but but there are conflicting things inside me because even though i want those things there are parts of me that thinks i don't deserve those things or that i'm not good enough for those things or i i'm not smart enough for those things so that i think at least for me is where the core of that self-sabotage comes from is these conflicting beliefs that I am and sometimes I'm not aware that I even have that keep me from thinking I even deserve um, to reach my creative potential. Yeah, I would say that the royal, that royal we applies to me too. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. In what ways do you sabotage your creative potential? I think sort of in the modern environment it's easy to fritter away our creativity on worthless frittery things Mm -hmm. um you know so like i think engaging with other people like expressing our creativity in like little micromanaging of our consumption of other people's creativity um Mm. so like like pinterest is a great example like i'm organizing and making this space of all these different things that i like and I now feel like slightly fulfilled that I've expressed myself by just collecting these images that represent me, but I haven't actually created anything. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, when I was younger, I w- would do a lot of like, w- you know, what were my favorite albums this year? Or what, you know, what were the 10 best movies this year? And I would put in all this thought into these like lists and like little micro expressions of myself that then like did just enough to make me feel like I'd expressed something Mm -hmm. that like I was able to just kind of keep plodding through life without like being desperately hungry to make something or do something in the world. Um, but it was kind of wasted. And 
so I, I think a lot of the engagement we have on social media and with blogs and with things of that nature make it easy for us to waste our creativity on just like little tiny expressions. Flitter or fr fritter. Fritter around. Okay, yeah. frittering around. I think that applies to me too. I think I fritter <laughs> away a lot of my creativity. Mm -hmm. Like apple fritter. <laughs> I think. I think for me. I allow the fires of urgency to get in the way of mm. doing what's important. And, you know, even at this point I have to get up early before I can be bothered by anybody else's emails or calls or whatever and, and work early at a cafe or at my computer or whatever to get the important creative work done in the morning. Otherwise at the end of the day, I mean, you just spend all your day solving everybody else's problems and responding to their urgencies. And I think that will absolutely sabotage what you're really trying to do that's important and it'll put you behind forever. And so that's, that's probably my biggest battle. And then even with that being true, I'll stay up too late and then I can't get up too early because then I feel tired and, you know, or I don't watch my diet and like the, all those things can sabotage what you're trying to do. Um, you need to plan for and execute what you're doing um, creatively and you have to treat it like it's important. And if it's not important, then you will not get it done and you will not be happy with it. Yeah, I certainly, sorry. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't need to re-say what he just said. What do, you, what do you got? I view Krista as somebody who maybe doesn't sabotage herself. Am I wrong? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's my constant pursuit. <laughs> really? Sabotage, my constant pursuit <laughs> by Krista. No, I feel like I, I very much relate to what you're saying. I think that mm, for myself, I have like a kind of a great sense of responsibility towards others, towards, you know, all these uh, other people's external things that I, I feel like I, ha I should, or, you know, that this is more important. And I think a lot of times that I, I let that take precedence over myself and, and that kind of whatever that is, that personal aspect is that is kind of a spark for creativity. Um, what was the name of the person that asked this question? Let me see. I've got to start storing that data a little bit better for me. Christina. Christina. So I wonder if, you know, Christina asking this question is kind of viewing herself as somebody who is sabotaging her own creativity sometimes. And one of the things that I think helps me the most, my, my counselor, every time I'm kind of complaining about this kind of activity in myself, she's like, well, maybe we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. You know, so even when we do sabotage our own creativity, it's usually, you know, we've, we're not doing it on purpose to be bad to ourselves. We're not trying to hurt ourselves or punish ourselves. It's just coming from a place of habit, a place from, uh, of, it's accident, it's a habit, you know. And so sometimes being easy on ourselves about even the bad behaviors that we have are the way that we can soften enough to move ourselves out of those behaviors. When we come down on ourselves hard about the behaviors that are not as great for our goals, it makes it even harder to move through them. So making sure that we stay soft with ourselves, um, even with some of the things that we do that we don't like that we do. It's a constant improvement cycle. <clears throat> yeah. And an, but with a kind improvement coordinator in your own head. And I think a lot of times we don't realize like what a profound pursuit creativity is and that there is danger and there is unknown there. And so those kind of self-protective things make sense. And I think that goes along with what you're saying about being gentle about ourselves. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
what she said. Exactly. I, it was it was so <laughs> profound. I was just dumbstruck there for a second. I'm just excited for Justin to edit. She says something, and then we both just sort of like stare. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at your face, and I was trying to decide if you were going for another quote in the, in one of the drawers of your mind, or I mean, but why satisfied. try to compete with you know what she's doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I you know to Mark's end, I think that not prioritizing creativity is a very easy way to sabotage it waiting it for it to just magically fit into the you know the cracks of your life you know it probably won't because we have fewer and fewer and fewer available cracks um and so i think mindfully prioritizing when we're going to be creative and then like you're saying like maybe taking some of the pressure off of it and just letting the early stages of being creative exist for themselves and not necessarily putting too much pressure on an an outcome or an end goal or anything. Like if you are having a hard time just getting started, you know, worrying too much about the end is a little cart before horse. Like just get yourself into a life rhythm where creativity is happening and then start trying to structure it into a direction. Um, I grew up on a steady diet of all work before play and that creativity was a fun thing. Oh, you do something creative. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's super fun. I'm so happy for you. Like it's a frivolous thing. And what I've found is like I, to my point earlier, you have to fight to actually do the significant work that you want to do as a discipline. My favorite word, one of my favorite words. Or you, you, you become a slave to your own mindset. And I think that that really does hold me back, uh, the way that we frame things. And your mood can do it, you know? Like you can wake up in the, in the wrong mood and, the, and that can throw you way off. And um, you just, it's a constant balance, balancing act. I feel like I'm on the high wire a lot. One thing I've been doing, this is not a direct answer to the question, but something I've been doing a lot lately that has been really helpful to like unsabotage myself is you know I'll sit down in the morning and this is my like hour-long window to work on strictly creative stuff my computer is closed I'm not plugged in in any way and I'll sit down and like I have done the the discipline the work of like I have made this space and this time and I'm going to do it but my mind isn't there my mind is in all these other places and I have been doing this like 15 minute meditation thing it's like a guided thing on an app or whatever where someone you know talks to you over the music and stuff and that has been so unbelievably productive for me like I will sit down and I will turn the thing on and for the first seven minutes I'm just like this isn't working I'm still all over the place this person's talking into my ear in their soothing accent but I'm still thinking about 40 other things that have to be handled or I'm thinking about how I'm not doing a good job meditating. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing a good job letting things go so I can, you know, be in my, my Zen space for creating. Um, but then, you know, when that 15 minutes is over, like I, I realize, like, Oh, the last like two minutes there, I really disconnected. And then all of a sudden, like the room feels different. My head feels different. Like all I can crack my neck 30 times on each side. I didn't realize I was so tense. And like all of a sudden, like I am in a completely different space for the next hour. And like just doing that every morning has been helping me not sabotage myself with my brain, 
you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been unsabotaging myself just by choosing to force it to chill. That's been really productive for me. It's like that discipline that Mark's talking about. It's not like every time you show up to the coffee shop, you know, you're ripe and ready to create, but you look back after a month and you're able to say, oh, wow, in that last two minutes, I really changed everything, didn't it? You know? Yeah, most, most writers will talk about how, you know, they don't have necessarily a word count for the day. They just have a time in the chair count for the day. Like, I will sit in this chair for four hours. And sometimes I sit there for four hours and do literally nothing. But the discipline of being there for four hours every day, eventually something happens and then they're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't do that and they like wait for inspiration to strike or whatever, like it rarely happens and things fall apart. Mm-hmm. We'll fill up the cracks of time with, with fiddling, fitter, fitter, fittering, frittering. The, the last observation I have is that one of the things that sabotages my creativity is seeing how much of it is crap, like going through the process of doing stuff that doesn't work, you know, sketching for days or weeks on things that just don't pan out can be the thing that sets you back. And that's why I think the discipline is so valuable for me is because if you can push through that trench and come out on the other side, what you find is you've learned from all of those things that didn't work and those have contributed and informed the thing that does work. And that is really satisfying. To crawl through the trench of your own crap and you come out the other side. I'm having Shawshank flashbacks, yeah. Ever since you talked earlier about how many available cracks you have, like I just can't stop <laughs> oh, like gosh. thinking, next week at the Outpost podcast, we're exploring your available cracks. Like that's all I can that's all I can think <laughs> about. And I had to do it out loud or else it was going to, something inside me was going to happen. So Editing! I've, I'm just, <laughs> I'm already enjoying Justin's short, like out of context clips from this. This is very. <laughs> uh, why don't we go ahead to the next community question then, shall we? Yep. Our next. Why are you laughing at my transition? Charming formality to that. <laughs> shall we? We shall. Good. So why don't, why don't. Why don't we just ignore the ridiculousness of the last like eight minutes and just move on? Yeah, try to be professional. We'll just pretend we didn't just edit out like fifteen minutes. Just of- you're we're, you're making more to edit out. Also, I made a popping sound when I said <laughs> <laughs> okay. it. was wonderful. With what? Yeah. Oh, your mouth. Oh, with your mouth. Yeah, we both said that. <laughs> I copied you. You did. I I stayed like half a second back so I can just enough. Like- okay. <laughs> okay. Jonas asks. Generally speaking, do you think people's interests are remaining childish for longer than in past generations? Jonas. Mm. Jonas. Are we all big children? He's asking a board game company if we're remaining childish. I mean, that's probably the right people to ask slash accuse. And I'm wondering, is he somebody who thinks that, that people are being childish or is he someone who people are saying you're being childish? That's what I'm wondering. Oh, so is he feeling insecure or is he good old boying at us? That's what I'm wondering. Mm, this is a good question. Because I'm feeling a little targeted. Like, I think I am being, ch- I think creativity, a lot of creativity could be considered childish, but I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to maintain this sense of play and wonder um, as opposed to having goals that are maybe a little more dry and stable. What I hear from the question is, you know, I'm 50 years old and I like Legos and lightsabers and Spider-Man. Is that a 
uh, you read childish your thing that Did I'm... Did you just read your bio? My bio, yeah, mm-hmm. essentially. But he mm-hmm. just described so many adults. Yeah. You right. Know, mm-hmm. Full-grown humans that, you know, play Pokemon mm-hmm. and... But the answer to the question, I think, for me is no. I think... I think people don't change that much generation to generation. I think the circumstances and the environments change, but I think for me, it's just nostalgia. And a lot of that nostalgia now for me is fueled by connection with my kids. So my girls love star Wars and Legos and Marvel. And yes, that probably was influenced by me and my nostalgia, but now I get to share it with them and that fuels it way more than had I not had, you know, my daughters. So even though it's toys and games, it's, it's not childish because it's about it has depth it's about connection and there's nothing childish about having having connection and sharing experiences with people you love so let's go one level deeper and i think if i can articulate this there is something wonderful about being childlike and how open the world is and how open our minds are to what's possible and where the joy is as opposed to the responsibilities of taxes and payroll and money and relationships and all these things that are hard. Whereas as a child, you can just go like, what am I going to do to laugh today? What am I going to, where am I going to find the joy? And I wish people would be more childish. Yeah, I, Is it childish versus childlike? You know, cause I feel like childish has a negative connotation. It's immature. It's childish. It's, it's useless. That's what I think of with childish, but childlike is this does not have that same connotation, at least to me. I mean, um, with this sense of wonder and joy, and I think it it is important. It's so important to maintain and harness and come back to that childlike nature as opposed to, you know, shun it and try to move away from things that that feel childish. Occasionally, I meet in my network with a lot of executives from other industries and it comes to me and I tell them what I do and you know it, it's almost like I, I draw pictures all day and I make games and stuff like that and it does feel childish in the room mm. and I feel this need to justify mm-hmm. what I do to them at least I have in the past I'm becoming a lot less so um, you know I don't have to wear a tie every day I don't have to you know um, there is there is a perception, I think, and there is a big difference between the two words. You're right. Childlike is a wonderful thing and childish almost is like an immature. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. The lack of maturity or lack of restraint or something like that. And you're right. But I have felt that working in pop culture, games and books and toys and people have, you know, a lot of people have no idea how much actual adulting it takes mm-hmm. to bring this stuff into the world like it's crazy it's not a ride people a lot of people would want to take um that being said there is something childlike about it which is i think why i engage with it yeah generally speaking i completely agree on this i think that what changes is the culture but i think people normally just as part of the human experience like as we grow older we reach back for the comforts of the things that we experienced and engaged with when we were kids. And I think that that changes over time. You know, like I, I think that, you know, when, when my grandparents were young, they had like dime Western novel, you know, books and all these little Pulp Fiction things. And then as they grew older, you know, my grandparents enjoyed Westerns. I don't think any of them would have said, this is a childish thing to like. 
And I think it's very similar when someone today enjoys Star Wars. You know, it's it's not that Star Wars is a childish thing or not. It's just a more like we, we have a more mature relationship with the things that we loved in our childhood. And I think that that is just a reflection of us trying to hang on to something pure and good. And I think humanity always does that. It just looks different in different contexts in, in different eras. Yeah, my dad died recently and he was 79 years old. And what he would do for the last probably couple years as he was getting worse and worse in his physical condition is he would just watch old Western movies from like the 50s. And, you know, he was born in 1940. So that means he was like a teenager in those years. And um, it was very clear to me that he was trying to connect with the happier, more joyous days of his life. And, and the nostalgia was very strong. And I, I, I think to myself, it's the same thing with when I saw, I saw star Wars in the theater when it came out in 1977, because I'm old and my mom saw it 17 times when it was in the movie yeah. theater. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dedicated. Yeah. I was six, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have visceral moments of nostalgia when I hear a certain piece of John Williams music, from that time and I transport myself back then. It doesn't even matter if I watch it now. It's where I was at the time and some of those feelings that are hard to replicate now that I was feeling when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Like that stuff is is just cherished. People cherish those those wonderful moments that they can't get back, you know, because they're so rare and there's there's a, a distance that you have to it. And so when I think about the childlike word, I think we all kind of sh- well, for the most part, I think a lot of people share that. Um, not everybody has a wonderful childhood and they kind of want out of it. And I understand that too. That's important. But childish is something you try to get over as you become an adult and you learn to be responsible. But childlike is something I will fight for. I do wonder if, you know, as the question was specifically around generations, you know, is this generation more childish um, or I, I'm just going to replace it with childlike for this. Or is it more childlike than other generations? And I do think if you're looking at like, we'll take millennials versus Gen Xers, um, millennials, you ask them what their jobs are. We have such a different plethora of available activities that we can do to make money than there was in generations past from the internet and our ability to work remotely and, and, make money on social media. And um, so I do think there is a, a bit more childlike nature that's being preserved in this generation as we're not having to fit into quite such a rigid social structure in order to survive financially. All right, we're going to move into our main topic for today then. Um, today's main topic is comparison and cynicism in the creative space. So how much should we be analyzing other people's work, uh, comparing our work to other people's work. What what do we do? Do we compare? Are we cynical? How much do we compare our work with other people's? Yeah, and how much are we judging other people's work? Yeah. And being judgmental about our own against in comparison to yeah. others. Krista, um, for you, I mean, are there 
uh, a bunch of different illustrators that you follow and you know you consume their work and as you're consuming your work are you comparing your work to them are you being critical of their work how for you individually how what's that process like yeah i think best case it is taking those things that just are like i can just feel like i feel a, like a punch that has impacted me and i look at that and then i can say okay what is that person doing the, like what are can I out analyze those elements of what they're doing am I doing those if I'm not how can I apply those to my own and kind of breaking it down like that giving it piece by piece and then it kind of makes it less of a jump from okay this is what I'm doing this is what that person's doing breaking it down taking those pieces and applying those maybe just a little bit on the next one and I think that's best case the healthy way Krista you remind me of the Borg <laughs> it is the Borg Collective, and every everything that you see basically Assimilates. gets assimilated into the network. <laughs> and you basically, if I see your cube coming, we basically resistance you know, is futile. Full speed, opposite direction, right? <laughs> Warp nine, or however fast we can go. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, that is that is a very insightful comment. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> that was a very like double-edged comment. It started off feeling like she was doing this really and good job. And then we have to of, run away. But then everyone has to flee her. Like <laughs> it, it took a turn. Lest the they end. be consumed. We're intimidated <laughs> by her talent, Tom. Oh, by her talent. Yeah. Yes. Um, does it is it hard in those situations to not um, compare in a way that makes you feel negative? Because the way that you talked about it seems very healthy. To be honest, as I worked through. It's basically my wrap up. So you just started with oh, no, my I'm wrap sorry. up of the correct answer to this question, which is we compare, we look for the things that are best in it and we find ways we can learn from it. So what about the, I mean, is there a dark side of that? Do you find yourself comparing in a way that makes you feel negative at all? Yeah, I think also concurrently, like I'm looking for ways to kind of put myself down. So I will see somebody who like I think I ought to be at that level and I will immediately use that as fodder to beat myself up but that's kind of you know that happens and I accept that and then I'm also doing something productive and beneficial that I know is what I want to do mm -hmm. so it just kind of balances out I guess Tom when you're when you're reading content from other people do you find yourself falling into a similar comparative trap where you're looking for ways to tell yourself you're not good enough? Are you, you know, as elevated as Krista where you can pretty quickly move through that and, and just what you can learn from it? I, I feel like I am, I mean, I identify with comparing myself negatively to things, but that's not really something that I do anymore at this stage in my career. Um, honestly, less like the older I get, the less I even find value in like, like a really healthy relationship with judging other people's work. You know, there, there, there was a point where I felt like, you know, I'm not going to negatively compare myself to these things that other people have made, but there is great value in like assessing what they've made and asking myself, how would I have done that differently and sort of learning something from that and really like thinking in depth about other people's creations. And I, you know, there were a lot of years where I was really focused on that and I feel like I did take a lot of things away doing that. But now like at this point I find myself doing even that less mm -hmm. and I'm just much more interested in like, what is uniquely me and how do I refine that and how do I explore that more 
sort of holistically and differently. And I honestly, at this point, when I'm taking in what other people do, like I just, my focus is on, I'm going to receive this thing that they've made generously and in the light that they meant it. And I don't do much like, like critical eye, you know, taking a part of what someone else has made because the value of that has really been diluted for me over the years. And I'm kind of on to another thing now. And I don't mean that in some like, look at me, I've arrived. And if you're in a place where you do that, you know, something's wrong. Um, but that is kind of where I'm at these days, mm -hmm. at least in this season of my life. I know it wasn't always like that. No, certainly not. Mm -hmm. No, there, there were, there were definitely years where I would read something someone else had written and feel really discouraged that I hadn't written something yet in that vein or could never do it as good or, or as well. Or I've heard you a lot talk about being motivated to pick apart other things, even if it's not in your own creative, uh, um, space, uh, and feeling almost noble about being able to pick apart other people's things. Um, but that's changed a lot for you too. Yeah, it has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you felt like from my understanding, you know, at that point you felt like you were doing a service to the world when you're trying to have this critical eye towards people's creations. I, I think there, there was at least for me a certain point in, I would say my twenties where I felt like there was almost an artistry to having like a really critical assessment of the things that other people are making and like, you know, this is the objectively good stuff and the objectively bad stuff and I am like experienced enough to know the difference and I am somehow doing some public service by sharing those thoughts with other people so they can see it as, you know, with the intelligence that I am seeing yes. it and, and mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of that was just a personal flex born out of, I don't know, insecurity or a desire to be something. Mm -hmm. And that, that was something that I did a lot when I was younger. I think about that cynical lens being something that, um, exactly like you said, is usually a projection of our own internal cynicism as opposed to anything that we really think. And so it's like that filter that you put on. It's Mark, you talk about this a lot. It's what you bring to anything, right? If you have that cynical lens, then you're going to view your work and and everything else you come in contact with in that same cynical nature. It's very predominant in our culture right now, too. And, you know, when it's hard to trust what you see in the social space or in the media in general, I think people often, and I, I see this a lot, people often find it, um, I don't know, they feel like they have to debunk someone else's opinion or creation. And I don't think that's a noble pursuit. I, I think it's okay to have differing opinions and ideas and thoughts. And I think, you know, there's a big stream of people who, who believe that too. But the, the, the feeling like to make, to pass a very quick instantaneous judgment about someone else's work without having any of the backstory or the depth that I think would really change your opinion or would it f help you form a real, you know, truer lens to what the value of that might be for someone, even if it's not you. I think that's, I think it's something that we should all just slow down a little bit with, you know, the, I mean, on the social platforms, especially you see people, you know, so reactive in, in the amount of, 
time it takes for clickbaity headlines to get clicked with the negative tint that they that they have or the negative shade i should say tints are are lighter and shades are darker it's just weird it's just weird she had you know so much joy on her face with that little <laughs> bit of knowledge that was am cute. i right Do i get affirmation <laughs> i like that uh and we're all cynical of things you know and I, I look at that and just going back to tom's earlier point i agree like it's it when i see somebody else's work the first thought is that's what not to do it's not like like i have an appreciation for it for sure but in my creative lens, I'm like, well, I'm never going that way. That's a door I'm not going to go through because my job is to forge, right? It's not to copy. Okay, so because you want to do something different, not because it's bad. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, the cynicism does come into play. Um, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but Tom and I will play games and we'll be like, you know, this is kindergarten, right? And it's really not, right? It's just different. And I think, we benefit or I, I benefit greatly when I see something or I see a conversation that, that is filled with that type of content. There is always something behind that, right? Sometimes there's a good intention behind a, a, a cynical view of something. And, and a lot of times it's there, people are trying to be helpful. Like you were saying, Tom, in your twenties or whatever, I did the same thing where we're kind of trying to show an intelligence in a rationale and trying to like be affirmed in some way for a viewpoint that feels educated has nothing to do with the value of somebody else's opinion or work. Mm -hmm. And honestly, our opinions about something that someone else has made are personal and should have very little value to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And we have spoken before about how much of these things that we share are really just us making a statement to ourselves about ourselves. And there's way too much weight put on what everyone else thinks. It's so silly because like I could go on and on about how much I think tomatoes are detrimental for our society and how I hate them. I hate the way they look. I hate the way they taste. I do not like tomatoes, the devil's apple, whatever you want to call it. He says he could go on and on as if if we have not all heard him go on and on for years. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. But it's a it's a different frame because it's not someone's creative work, right? And so people just kind of accept that you don't like tomatoes, right? Like it's like, oh, that's fine, that's fine for you, that's mm-hmm. your thing. Why can't we do that with people's creative work or people's opinions about things, right? It's okay. It's okay that Mark doesn't like tomatoes. It's okay that Krista does, right? But what about that game? What about that movie? What about that book? Oh, well, you know. If you had a little bit more background, you would you would see things the way that I mm-hmm. you see a lot of that. And it's just like, no. One thing I want to challenge all of us with is, okay, so it's important for us to not be critical and not do a whole lot of comparison in a way that makes us feel bad. However, I've seen us all celebrate when we make top 10 lists, you know. So does it go both ways? If we are celebrating when somebody is saying that we are good, it also gives us gives the people who are saying we are bad power. Mm, you know, when we any time that we're listening and leaning into someone else's opinion of us, it is giving power to the other side too. So I don't know if I see it that way. So if you talk about you just ate the best tomato you've ever had, mm-hmm. it's just not for me, right? Can it can it just be like 
that's not for me mm-hmm. you know i've heard people say I, I don't like marvel movies i don't like star wars movies but we care well, you know? what, I, what i'm challenging i guess is we said your opinion about somebody else's work really shouldn't matter to anybody and that's we th- we think that for sure about people's negative opinions but we care very much about people's positive opinions of us i think we're spinning this conversation away from the the question okay. which was how does our relationship with other people's work correlate with our own relationship with our own work okay and is there value in assessing other people's work in the context of feeding our own work mm-hmm. um which i think is a different question i think what you're pointing out is very accurate as far as what we were talking about but i feel like we're getting off all right track a little i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cap that then because i i like what you're saying there about affirmation the thing that i think that does is it is it affirms the human connection like something you've done resonates with someone else i think that does have inherent value mm-hmm. if it doesn't rate with uh, resonate with you just shut up and go away mm-hmm. right go find the thing that does that's mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that but back to your point so i think as like as to the question you know is there a really healthy positive relationship that can exist between assessing and absorbing other people's work and having that feed into our own creations. The, f- the first thing that comes to mind with that is when someone asks you for criticism, right? It's not necessarily cynicism, so they're different. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, if I take a mechanic in a game or, or a, something that I'm working on and I show it to Krista and Tom and I'd be like, hey, what do you guys think? And they're like, not feeling it, man. Uh, here's why and, and all these different things. That's helpful to me that's that lets me see it through their lenses right through their eyes uh having brought a game into the market and then having them play it and talk to their friends about how trash that game is is not the same thing um because you don't number one you weren't asked in to give constructive criticism to make something better uh and I think that that is a place where I think we probably need to be a lot more open to people's constructive criticism. Cynicism being different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with that word cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a time when cynicism is helpful maybe is a better question. How about your own criticism though? Like if you play someone else's game, you know, what role does that have in you making games? Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, it's very personal. You're right. So, like, if I play a game, and I've done this a lot, I play a game, and I'll be like, this is the last time I'm going to play this game, right? And it's not, it's not because other people don't love it. I've, I've played award-winning games that I don't care for, right? I mean, it's just true. It's just not for me. I mean, that's just what, I, what it boils down to. It's just not my, it's not what I enjoy. Okay, so our opinion on other people's things is a lot more about our own preferences than it necessarily is about our own creations, even. Because we can create things that aren't, you know, that are meant for us, but are meant for specific groups of people. You do a lot of research into, you know, what is going to be good for this type of gamer and this type of gamer. And so your opinion on other people's creation has much more to do about your own preferences than it does about um, how you're going to necessarily create something in the future differently. Yeah. And taking it out of games, I, I, I do think that there are some instances where it's okay to warn other people about something that's out there, right? These people are predatory or, you know, you should do your research when you're dealing with these folks or this product is not good. You know, it's got a one star rating. Like those things are important too. So it's okay to be critical. And 
you know, cynical to me still has a negative connotation. Like I don't inside there's resistance to wanting to be cynical about anything that says something about me being critical is something that I think can be used to help, but it needs to be framed properly. Is that how you guys see it? Yeah, I guess that kind of internal, like taking note of the internal thing that is fueling the external expression, like for example, in giving criticism to another person, is the criticism, is it something that feels like a gift, that feels like like taking a chance on being honest with somebody to help them? And that has a different kind of internal feeling than criticism, which is like mm. a, a walled off, I don't like that. And I, you know, it, it's, it's like a negative feeling, which I think we can then kind of going back to what you're saying, analyze our own motivations for that. So I mm-hmm. think the same act of criticism or comparison based on what is behind it can be something very different. I'm still trying to like, I'm still wrestling with this question as more of a like something that has nothing to do with anyone else. It's just your own internal thing. I read a book, you know, is there value for me in not in any public way, just quietly in my head saying, well, this isn't working and this is working really well. And here's what I'm learning from that. And, you know, same with like, so, or is that an unhealthy thing? Because then now I'm, you know, wrapped up in this person's thing instead of doing my own thing. And, you know, that I feel like is more the discussion that the question was trying to elicit. Um, I find elicit. Is that solicit? No, now I'm lost. Illicit. I've broken myself. I find value <laughs> in, in that quiet comparison. Um, whenever I see, because since I work so much in social media, whenever I see a piece of content, that's a really good piece of content. That's, gone viral okay you know it's gotten a lot of exposure do you work in social media <laughs> do you air quotes do you do you have annoyances about these things but honestly because i usually really feel an initial flame of jealousy which is kind of what draws my attention because it's like this has something i want i i want content to pick up this much steam and so there's this initial flame of jealousy that kind of draws me to research further but I honestly feel like I pretty quickly move out of that jealousy phase into inspiration especially when the piece of content has it's it's good it's gone viral because it's good you know that's what really makes me feel jealous is when something is good and I can pick apart what made it good, and that inspires me to do better work. And I think sometimes they go viral, and I can't determine what made it good, what made it go viral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a fun exercise too, mm-hmm. is because there is a little wash of cynicism and like appreciation at the same time. And I think I think inherently we've all become very good judges of you know, for ourselves, the hammer of judgment on what everybody does and what we do. And, um, the openness and the open mindedness is the, is kind of the elusive thing that, that I feel like I still chase. Cause I don't, I'm not the most patient person in the world and I wish I was because I think when we just slow down and breathe and look a little deeper and just think for an extra five seconds about something before we dismiss it, that is more valuable than anything. I think that the practice of doing that will shed a little bit more light on what we're seeing 
and it'll help us apply it a little bit better to what we're doing. Because if I just got jealous and just moved away, moved on, then I would just only feel jealous. But when I got jealous and kind of went deeper, yes, that's yes. when it transforms from this negative to something that can actually be useful. Because w- w- there's something specific that I was thinking of this last week. And as I studied it and I was so jealous, I'm like, wow, look at the years of intentionality that went before this piece of content. It took intentionality, strategy, dedicated ongoing discipline that turned into this one piece of content that went viral for for a real reason and so then i don't feel like it's just i haven't done something it's it's that depth of intentionality that i need to really work on creating it's not just one thing i need to do in order to get something to do well so and i think that's a really brings up a really good point too it's like that this interaction with this external thing has made you realize something about yourself Mm -hmm. it's like maybe that i'm shallow no that i need a little more depth (laughs) yes no 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 (laughs) i mean in terms of like that thing that you are seeing where you get that feeling whatever if it's jealousy or whatever that just like feeling is that strikes you it's perhaps it's some sort of recognition Mm -hmm. it's like this is something that i am wanting that i am you, you know you recognize something within that that speaks to you and maybe you wouldn't have known that had you not encountered that Which means external it's thing important to compare it's f- it's fuel from th- that motivates you mm-hmm. yeah yeah the comparison is an interesting word too because you know your mom's carrot cake or my mom's carrot cake mm-hmm. right well maybe you prefer your mom's and i prefer my mom's because that's what we grew up on Wh- how much inherent value is there in that right in comparison it's all subjective Right. But when you're talking about somebody else's work, especially if they have any type of praise or accolades, it becomes you've, you you kind of put this this distance between your own work and somebody else. And you'd be like, well, my work should be better uh, or should be more like that. And I think that's actually one of the worst things you can do, because you just- what you want to do is make sure your work is more like you, not like someone else. Mm-hmm. To Tom's early, early point. So if we're agreeing that comparison happens and that there's some value to it, then how much should we analyze other people's work or, and or compare our work to it? What's a, what's a healthy amount of this? When you're learning a trade, I think it's important to study the masters or study people who do it well so that you can get the fundamentals down so that you have a frame to build off of. At a certain point, though... I think it's healthy and important to kind of leave the nest and fly on your own and not necessarily need other people's work to affirm what you're doing by comparison. I think, I think when you look at the, the truly remarkable groundbreaking creatives in this world, the ones that we talk about through history, it's not that they did anything like anybody else. It's because they were uniquely valuable. They had a unique lens. And I think, the more we chase that, the better off we are. And so I, I, I think I think that's a waning relationship, right, with, com- with comparison. But I think it is important in the early stages, especially when you're learning a new craft, right? If I'm going to go build a brick wall in my backyard, I'm going to watch a Google YouTube video of somebody building a brick wall so I can do it properly. But if I decide I'm going to become a mason and then I'm going to start doing really cool stuff on my own and that's going to be my craft... At some point, I'm going to take what I know and do my own thing. That's a terrible example, and I, I, I apologize. We 
forgive you. Apology accepted. <laughs> um, your point, though, I completely agree with. Like, I would have summarized it the same way, but probably not as elegantly. I think you just did a really good job. But I, I agree. I think, you know, if you're early in your, you know, career or your engagement with some particular type of creative expression, um, it is important to look at what other people are doing, learn from it, pull from it, see how it moves you, ask yourself why it moves you, or ask yourself why it's not moving you, and focus on doing that in a healthy, constructive, positive way, not in something that brings you down, but in something that you learn as something that you learn from. But then, it, at least from my own experience, I all, I totally agree with Mark that at a certain point, like that stops having the same amount of value and productivity for you and you reach a point where you like that just becomes spinning your wheels after a while like at a certain point you just then have to step off and do your thing yeah i think it's very detrimental to stay too long in a cycle where you're comparing yourself to other people because it's hard to fight off the the desire to become more like what you admire about it instead of listening to the voice from yourself about where you should go, right? It's a direction thing. So like, do I want to make something that's kind of like what Tom did or do I want to really just kind of shut everything else out mm. and do what only I can do? And I think that's, I think there is a threshold that you can cross, which is no longer helpful to compare yourself. You have to go out in the dark on your own and risk and, and scary as it may be, learn what you're going to learn full on if you if you are always thinking about your work in the context of how it relates to other people's work you exist in the boundary box of that mm -hmm. you know there's no room outside really of what other people have done for you for 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 your work but if you stop thinking about it that way you can just it reminds me of topics we've talked about with the creative process where there's different steps in the creative process and it almost feels like if you're trying to compare intentionally in order to improve on this step of your creative process it's that intentionality actually viewing it as a step so that's one type of comparison that can be helpful another type like what krista talked about that can be helpful is when you feel something you know, there's really no way to explain that except pounding your chest. Like when something really resonates with you, comparing to find the piece that you'd like to harness and use, exactly. right? So those are two ways that comparison can be helpful if done intentionally and with that purpose. Beautiful? Beautiful. beautiful. Good. So beautiful. All right, you are all done talking. I'm, I'm done listening to you for the day. Just you, Tom. I said you all. That was you too. Sorry. Right. I didn't realize you were from the South. What did I say, y'all? Say y'all. All right, y'all. This was a great episode. We'll see y'all in the next episode of the Outpost podcast. Um, if you loved us, which of course you did, you're going to leave us a wonderful review. If you're in the small section of people who are comparing your work to ours and thinks yours is so much better, just leave us alone. Like, why are you hanging out here if you don't like us anyway? Go away. Um, if you have ideas that you want to hear us talk about, because I'm sure they're going to be better than what we come up with on our own, you can go to orangenebula.com slash topics. Can all of our outros be this bitter? <laughs> <laughs> and tell us what we should be doing, uh, what we should be talking about instead. Listen, you think we could do it better than, than tell us what to do? That's we'll right. 
but only if you love us and you're doing it out of place of love. Otherwise, just leave us alone. Just Lo- love or shove around here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you. See you next time. Have a good rest of your day. Goodbye. 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 Mark, I'm doing it until you say it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.